0: On today's episode of the SSPX Podcast, we'll continue our apologetic series by looking at the concept of what a church is. We've seen that Jesus is God, that he rose from the dead and he performed miracles, but what about after he went back to heaven? Did he just leave us with his teachings, or did he expect us to do something else? Some would claim he wants us to belong to a visible, real, hierarchical church, but didn't he say that his kingdom was not of this world? So why should we belong to a church here on earth? You can find notes to all of these episodes at sspxpodcast.com slash apologetics, as well as all of our previous episodes. There as well, you can find a link to help support this project. This is free to listen to as well as all of the resources we're posting, but if you can help with a small one-time or a monthly recurring donation, you will be making sure that we can continue this work of producing good Catholic content on a regular basis. Now let's join Father Robert McPherson for episode number 15 of our Apologetics series here on the SSPX Podcast. Father McPherson, great to have you back again. How are things going for you at the seminary right now?
1: Oh, going very well, thank you, Andrew. We've got the the ordinations tomorrow, so we're looking forward to that with great anticipation. Please pray that we've got good weather. There's a bit of rain forecast, so we'll we'll see how
0: that turns out. Absolutely. Well, thanks for thanks for squeezing us in. I know it's a it's a busy busy week for you. Um so we'll get right right down to it. We've been talking about uh, we've been talking about the scripture. We've been talking about the divinity of our Lord. Um, but our Lord just didn't go to heaven and leave us with nothing. Obviously, we know that something else happened. Uh, and so today we're talking about the Catholic Church. And the, uh, the point that you're going to be making, Father, today is that our Lord did leave us with the church. with And we're not going to distinguish yet whether or not it was the Catholic Church or any other church. Right now, we're just going to figure out, did he leave us with a church? That people are supposed to follow. Is that correct? Yes, indeed. Okay, so I guess we could look at a few of the oppositions to this idea first okay. and foremost. Is that right? Yes,
1: I think that's a, a good um, beginning to kind of, uh, as St. Thomas often does, uh, begin with uh, objections, some of the theories out there, so that as we try to navigate our way through, we already have a sense of mm-hmm what some of the ideas, some of the interpretations of, uh, what Christ has done or left with us, or yes, what his, his purpose in coming was, what the inheritance we have from him. And there is the more classic, uh, we could say Orthodox, um, Protestant, uh, opinion, which the church is, so if we broke it into the two great branches, the Lutherans on one side, the Calvinists on the other, um, the church consists of simply the just, would say the uh, the Lutherans, so those that are just at the time, and the Calvinists of the predestined, so someone may not actually could be considered in the church because he's predestined, even though right now he's a sinner. And outside the church, even though he's practicing now, because he's not predestined to, to heaven. Um, so, but whether it's the just, whether it's the, uh, the predestined, there's a notion that these uh, these are not really visible institutions left by God. But man being what he is, he wants to visibly express the faith that he has and so he joins together he forms uh the in, the institutions they elect people to to preach the gospel to them and what is striking i think to the sort of the catholic mindset but the, to anyone out there we want to really um make note of this is that with this understanding the church is understood as a human institution the faith is something with my direct contact with with God. The fact that I want to express this, that I form a group in which to express it, that is purely of my creation. So the, the church for this um, classic Protestant mentality is in fact a human institution. And that is why they would have really no problem in saying that such a uh, a church could fall apart. And so they say, well yes, you, because some people are, well men are men, you might have um, just of course, hypocrites in there because they uh, they might pretend to uh, to have the the faith when they uh, they don't or creep into this this group. Um, but in fact, so this church, this human institution that I form, uh, let's call it Church A. Church A of Christ. Uh, is such a mindset has no difficulty in saying, "Well, that church could corrupt, and it could corrupt so badly as uh, to reach the point that it must be abandoned by a believer." And this is what, for example, they hold of the Catholic Church. So that it, it started with perhaps this desire of people wanting to express their their belief but it became so twisted, so distorted, that within a couple of centuries, um, there's there's no reason that anyone should practice in that way. And in fact, there's every reason why they should not. Um, that, as I say, is the classic Protestant interpretation. That itself um, has evolved in, in recent days, as you see it. And that's, again, not Uh, extraordinary when you have this notion that the very institute which brings you the faith of God is something human. So then you have now the modern Protestant, who is much more closely aligned to modernist Catholics, you could say, insofar as they say, well, Christ simply inaugurated a movement. So he taught uh, an elevated morality, he gave some guiding principles, but he had no intention of actually separating himself from the synagogue or creating a hierarchical structure. And so that's largely attributed to St. Paul, who just kind of jumped on this, um, this this bandwagon, or you might say he harnessed this movement that he saw could really show some promise, and he decided to to give it some greater direction, again, making it something human and finally uh you have the the modernists who are much more extreme Uh, a modernist we don't speak of simply someone who lives in the modern world we speak of a um a philosophical outlook which divides the mind of man to say that his his philosophy can contradict his history which can contradict his religion which can contradict um, his theology Uh, and so The the modernist has absolutely no problem in simply denying certain facts related in sacred scripture. Um, and again, he takes the position that Christ did not intend to establish a hierarchical institution. He holds that in fact, Christ thought the end of the world was very close at hand and, um, and in light of this, he was really simply again giving uh, this moral boost, moral encouragement to his uh, uh, to his followers. And when the world did not end, contrary to his expectations, and when the 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 faithful uh, realized that it wasn't going to end, well, they themselves had this need to express their their faith to continue and so part of that need was to share their experiences their faith um and with the growing numbers there was this need to somehow organize themselves and that led then again humanly entirely naturally uh to a um an authority being established it was established so the argument is after the pattern of their own age so according to a certain roman uh structure um and so there's nothing divine about that and as well it's not really um the topic of this uh, conversation. But that is one of the reasons why they have no problem in dismantling that structure and saying we could have a completely different structure than the one Catholics would typically recognize. Or again, if they were to go to a Protestant church saying, well, this is the way you've done it, but there's absolutely no reason why it couldn't be restructured. Because, uh, But what we do see in all of these approaches is that the the church as I see it in the world around me is a human creation.
0: Right. So, so all three of these, these oppositional groups, and we're going to kind of just, you know, not everyone's going to fit exactly neatly in these three categories, but broadly the Orthodox Protestant position, the modernist Protestant position, then the modernist position itself. They all, I was just going to say, they all have this concept of Christ may have, given us some teachings and yeah we're not going to deny that he was god we're not going to deny his divinity per se but he didn't really leave us instructions for a church you know he said my kingdom is not of this world he didn't ever intend for a church to be established that was just the people afterwards who kind of like you said hitched on this bandwagon
1: that's right okay and um of course that's that opens a Uh, the whole can of worms as the expression is, is that um, what be, what use is, is a teaching of which I have um, no way to guarantee that that teaching is sound. And so what Mm -hmm. does all of Christ's divine power and his divine authority do if I don't have a guaranteed link with that authority? And I, again is a is another uh conference um well so say the protestants in in general well he left us the uh the bible and then you have the whole question of well how has that bible come down to us who um who could determine which books um uh would belong to it and as i say that that is a different conversation andrew but just um maybe granting a certain light into that whole world. Uh, It seems so many errors and heresies, they begin um, with no relation to uh, history. They really depend upon uh, one assuming that the world I live in now is the world that uh, that's the way people have always lived. And so, for example, um, I think one of the classic things that um, you'll often hear in apologetical uh, argumentation is that this notion that all I need is the is the Bible, and that I can simply read the Bible to know the the truths that Christ has taught, would have made absolutely no sense to the world at large before the creation of the printing press. That would have been pure madness, the idea that because it was not making it easier for people it was basically such an idea would make it impossible for people to actually have access to what christ taught so that makes no sense but going back even further if we go back to the um the old testament and the the hebrew scriptures remember they didn't even have vowels in their alphabet in the way they wrote so when our Our Lord is, as a young um, child that goes to the temple and the ancients marvel at how does he know these things and how can he read these texts and interpret these texts when he's had no teacher, they're not simply marveling that, wow, he he can read at the grade 12 level or something like that. He's simply reading in a, a series of consonants. And there should be no way he knows whether that is um, cat or cot, whether it's dig or dog. And then you think, well, not every word is monosyllable. Um, So how can he possibly understand this text without a teacher? And so to go to this people and say, you simply have to put these texts in, in my hand and I will know what the Holy Ghost is saying through them. It's absolutely an absurd idea. And so that comes back to this conference of the idea that Christ should have given us uh, a teaching, a teaching necessary to to save our soul, a teaching without which we could not go to heaven, we could not save our soul, and then give us no way to know what that that teaching was, um, rather than being you know a, a mark of His mercy, we could say that would be. Really merciless. It was just be um, very cruel, almost taunting. And so the 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 thesis that I, I propose um, in this conference today is that Christ personally founded a church and that church is a true society, a true society of men. So the the, the twofold as um, element of that thesis then, is again, he directly founded it. And what did he uh, found? Was it an amorphous blob? Was it just a, a generic um, you know, push of people saying, hey, go off and do some good? No, it was a society in the strict sense. So a permanent assembly uh, of men meant for the attainment of a common goal. So that's what we're going to be looking at.
0: So at what point in his public ministry or during his lifetime, did he do this then? Because we're going to have uh, people are going to say, you know, you can't really point to any one thing in particular, or if you can point to one thing, you know, maybe it's not what you intended or, you know, what you're saying is not what he intended. So what is going to be the, the burden of proof for you father to show that, that Christ did actually found this society?
1: So I think we can go by stages, coming to the actual moment when he um, he did found it a bit uh, later on. Um, but to see first that he clearly promised that he would found such a society. And again, this idea that it's a, a permanent assembly of men, of visible men with external um, bonds. And uh, anything that our Lord says he's going to do, so you've already, as you mentioned, um, demonstrated uh, his divinity. And so anything that God says he's going to do, and Christ is God, anything that he promises to do, will invariably come true. That's clearly the horse you want to bet on if um, our, our Lord has given it his own guarantee and one of the um, well-known texts of from the Gospel of St. Matthew, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and I will give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. So uh, he speaks of that kingdom of heaven. He speaks of the keys that are to be given to Peter. Uh, so he's, he's speaking, really, of... Uh, such a society. Now, what can be confusing to uh, to some is as with language in general, and certainly um, many cases of language throughout uh, sacred scripture, uh, the term can be used analogously. So you can have different senses of the the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God on earth. And so sometimes it does refer to this internal kingdom the 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 life of grace of of messianic peace and sometimes it refers to the external kingdom so the the church as an instrument of planting that grace of fostering that grace and of nourishing the life of christ in souls so it would be unreasonable for us to say that well every reference of the kingdom of heaven refers to the church. So wherever I see in the gospel mention of the kingdom of heaven, that means the the church as a society, strictly speaking. No, we, we don't have to argue that at the same time to, to argue that it never means that would really make um, many of the texts just incomprehensible. It's like, What does it it mean? Uh, He that ascended is the same also that ascended above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and others some evangelists and others some pastors and doctors for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry and the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, if we're not talking about something visible there, it's just well, why do we have these Visible and distinct offices. Some are there to to teach. Some are there to to, to rule. Um, some are there to uh, to help to minister as as doctors. And he says for perfecting uh, the the body of Christ and for edifying the mm. body of of Christ. So again, what can that mean if we simply uh, uh, mean something internal? Because it would almost be, if you like, and if I could put it that way, um, justifying the professional busybody. What what right does this person have to approach you if there's no, you have a personal relationship with God, it's an invisible church, and then you speak of pastors, apostles, evangelists, and someone just says, well, I'm that evangelist and I need to know about your spiritual life. Like, hold on here. It's so clearly we're talking about a visible um, society, or sorry, as Saint Paul is, and that means there is a a recognition that needs to go on on both sides. Which who is the member and who is the um, the authority in that society? Uh, does that seem to make sense so far? Uh,
0: yeah, that that makes okay. sense. So he he is giving this promise of there is going to be some sort of a structure that I'm going to leave. And again, we're not yet looking at at when he did this or what exactly he said, but he, he is making this promise at some point during his public life, I'm going to leave you a church and it's going to help, you know, it's going to be part of this kingdom.
1: Yes, and I would say even by those words themselves to to give the keys of the kingdom of heaven, if we don't understand that as a visible society, Again, in the notion of the invisible society where the visible side of things is only because I have an urge to express my faith to my neighbor, to talk about my faith or to share my experiences. The idea of having the keys to that kingdom is absolutely incomprehensible because keys symbolize authority and with this direct relationship to God, there's a notion that I have no immediate relation to my neighbor. And so, and yet our Lord is saying, I give you the keys of that kingdom, which means you do have authority over your neighbor. How is that possible without a visible society? So our sure. Lord has promised it. It has to come true.
0: Sure. Uh, a a big uh, belief of particularly the Protestants, but it's creeping into um you know some mainstream mainstream catholic belief as well is this idea that you have your own personal relationship with our lord uh it's it's whatever whatever dictates or your religion is is whatever is dictated by your conscience um so is there anywhere where our lord basically pushes that argument to the side does he specifically say that everyone has to belong to a singular faith or a singular set of beliefs
1: uh yes in indeed he um he requires that when he tells the apostles to go and and preach, so he says that they that uh believe and are are baptized will be saved, and those that do not believe uh will not be saved so um and that requires if you like this not only the uh the belief but the the profession of that because there is this um as i said the the internal acceptance of the faith is not enough to uh, to certainly form uh, a union um and yet there is this need to to believe and to render an account then of that belief to the apostles who are preaching uh, And there's, again, the notion that each person can simply determine or choose for himself what of that belief they will accept would be much as if a teacher could give an exam and say, okay, learn this. And then the the one who's meant to learn the child could decide what a passing grade is. And so it's like, I will grant myself a degree depending upon how much I want to learn or how much I want to believe. So this, I, this fact that our Lord said those that do not believe will be condemned, again, this is incomprehensible unless there really is an object of content that must be believed in order for that, you know, condemnation either not to click in or to click in, but to to again have no ob- objective way to determine that and as if the apostles would not be able to to demand some concrete profession would render this very solemn injunction of our lord um, you know what could be more solemn than stating you no know, they have to accept a belief or be lost forever and that would make no sense unless uh, again um the the apostles could require a a profession of of faith, which is again not determined according to the individual's whim, but enjoined by Christ through the apostles. And not only does he enjoin that that same faith, but he enjoins the um, the practice of the same sacraments. So, with that, notably um, baptism, he so says. Um, elsewhere to, to Nicodemus that unless a man be born again of water and the spirit, uh, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And is also said of the, the Holy Eucharist, so again you have there the, the rites um, of the true church that he will found, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you shall not have life in you. So he really is requiring that certain rites be observed and these rights again are um, external they are means of uniting men in a common form of of worship and these are the the practices that our lord himself is directly instituting
0: just to be clear when you when you make a point of saying that our lord enjoins the practice of the sacraments you're the kind of ultimate point there is he says that we have to have these sacraments. Therefore, there has to be an institution to give those sacraments. There has to be a priesthood of some sort or some some sort of a, a visible uh, community in order to receive those sacraments. That's kind of the ultimate point.
1: Yes, and I suppose um, not jumping ahead of our, ourselves, it's true, as you mentioned at the beginning, This is simply to say that he did establish a church, a society. And so one might then, and that can be a a future argument, well, when he establishes this rite of the Eucharist, is that the Eucharist as the Catholics understand it? Or is that the Eucharist as a Protestant or some other denomination understands it? So one could then um, deflect that argument to a, a later time but we would like to at least stress here that wait there's a um, a, a notable discrepancy or or dissonance between the notion that christ would demand this visible ritual and require it of a people that they themselves are saying yes but the only reason i am actually visibly uniting myself to my neighbor or bonding with him is because that's my personal choice. So this notion that the society is invisible, when Christ himself is saying, but you are obliged to practice this visible right." what does that even mean? So they may disagree with the Catholic notion of the Eucharist, but they should at least disagree with their own notion of the Eucharist, right. that Christ should demand something visible of their invisible society. So, Or they, of course, should question the notion of did did he do nothing but um start a a moral movement did he really not establish that visible society
0: right Uh, one thing that we keep coming back to is is the tradition of the church and i know we're arguing for the church by using the tradition of the church uh but we have to at least look at the early practices of the people that our lord left behind so to speak um not everything he, he didn't leave everything clearly spelled out for us, at least not that we have records of in the scripture. Um, obviously, he told the apostles much more that isn't put in scripture. St. John himself said this, but we can learn a lot about what our Lord intended by looking at his immediate successors, the, the people he left behind. So can we look at the earliest history of the church? Did they have this notion of a visible society, of a real society? Uh, did they kind of make it up? what where can we look for clues there father
1: well i think we find exactly that and so apologetically um one comes to the the difficulty that as soon as you get even a a couple of centuries in and there's uh you know after christ i mean um you already have very clear expressions of the the Catholic notion of the Eucharist, for example, and other very Catholic rites. And so there is the 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 necessity imposed upon somebody who wants to deny the truth of the Catholic religion to say that the Catholic Church had already defected from the truth at that time. So we can however, go back to uh, the apostles themselves. And if I might just um, read a text from the Acts, just referring to this question of the the profession of faith that is, is demanded. Um, and so this refers, uh, this is taken from the time when St. Peter is preaching immediately after Pentecost. It's from the uh, second chapter of the Acts of the Apostles. Um, Now, when they had heard these things, they had compunction in their heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, what shall we do, men and brethren? But Peter said to them, do penance and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So we can come back to that. But notice he is asking for that visible rite. Okay? You have changed. You have a changed mindset. You're sorry for what you've done. You want to know how to go forward. You need to um, follow and observe this visible rite of baptism. For the promises to you and to your children and to all that are far off, whomsoever the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this perverse generation. They therefore that received his word were baptized. They received his word, they accepted his authority, and there were added in that day about three thousand souls. And again, one would question what were they added to? to is this simply to the mind of god or to some again visibly recognizable um assembly and they were persevering in the doctrine of the apostles so that's the dewey rems other um, more recent translations of the this persevering in the doctrine meant or is, is expressed as they were attentively following so there's what are the apostles saying so it's this recognition of their authority to to teach and the necessity of conforming themselves to the same profession of faith and another very famous text from the first chapter of Galatians so Saint Paul it says he says though we or an angel from heaven should tell you something different from that which you've already heard let him be anathema You have very clearly expressed there that there is one faith and that one faith must be professed and that profession can never change. So uh, really that's and that's a visible bond that we have to hold that. How do we know that we're holding that same faith? Because he says this is the faith that I've given to you, the faith that I myself received and no one is allowed to change that but again, if we're simply sharing experiences with no external accountability, um, that statement becomes meaningless, because my personal experiences can certainly change over time. So there needs to be some object of reference, and that object of reference is necessarily external uh, to me. Um, and again, so that's with the faith, with the external rights. And um another as might say people might have thought it was uh it was certainly a, a generosity that was extraordinary in the early church. Some might question its wisdom or not. That's not the um the point here, but those that sold their goods, um and all they that believed this is the same chapter, were together and had all things in common. Their possessions and goods they sold and divided them um, uh, to all that uh, had need. But it's uh, sorry. So I'm, I would I'd have to find that text uh, later. But we we do read of how that although they divided to all who had need, it was left to the apostles to determine that. And so you have. Um, Ananias comes in and lies to St. Peter about what he had sold and lays it at his feet and for that he is struck dead. So um, the goods were his to to sell or to keep but when he does decide to sell them he brings them uh, to St. Peter as the authority um, to whom they should be entrusted and when he lies to him for that um, he is struck dead. So that idea is that yes they are the pastors of this this flock um and there's many examples in the sacred text of the the apostles deciding who they will lay hands on who will be the deacons who will be sent to the mystery uh, ministry who will be set apart uh, for the work uh you always have that notion of authority a visible authority which shows from the very beginning it's treated as a visible society
0: so this is what the apostles were doing. We we know that from from history from from the writings of the apostles, but were the apostles actually doing what Christ wanted? Was this his intention?
1: Well, certainly they indicate that to us. Uh Saint um, Peter says that um, the church is a spiritual edifice of which our Lord Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. And saint paul often comes back to the doctrine of the mystical body so that christ is the head of the church and we are truly um his body and i think so that they certainly have no intention of you know disassociating um that from him and i think especially striking is Taken from um, Acts chapter 20, where we read um, Take heed to yourselves and to the whole flock, wherein the Holy Ghost hath placed you bishops to rule the church of God, which he, Jesus Christ, has purchased with his own blood. So there they're talking really of this um this people of, of god and to say that christ purchased it with his blood you can't say that uh, say that he he laid down his blood for this he he purchased it without knowing the object of the you know what what you're purchasing with that payment that would have would be completely we could say um not only absurd, but manifestly disrespectful to say that, and to say that the apostle then and the divine word um, attributes that to the action of Christ, and yet Christ had no notion and no intention of that being his action. So, again, if anyone has any sense that the the, the Bible is the divine word and the sacred uh, writing of God Himself, they have to admit that this notion that Christ purchased the church his immaculate bride with his own blood means he's that is his operation and he that's his intent that this be a society which he can one whole that he can bring to himself and again not invisible links if you will
0: when you've been talking father you've been talking about this society in and i think you're intending it as singular um how do we know that our lord was not talking kind of in a collective noun type uh type speak where he's talking about the society when maybe he could have meant various societies that all kind of follow slightly different things but all have him at the end i mean this is this is what we have taking devil's advocate here this is what we have with all these various uh, christian christian denominations um how do we know that this is not what our lord intended
1: um well of course our lord explicitly says that he would um gather together his his flock um, um sheep that are not of this fold them too will i gather um he gives saint peter the special charge of feeding the the sheep and the apostles state in, in various places, again, we can go back to the um, the Acts and even the quotation where I just uh, read that you are placed bishops to rule the church of God. It's stated in the, the singular, and there's that notion that even if you have um, regional foundations they all belong to the the greater unity of the one church and i think we can also go back to the old testament it's i think rather curious the the old testament is clearly it's the the shadow rather than the substance it's the um the the, the foretaste of things to to come but it's it is all meant to prepare for our Lord, and yet in so many cases there there can be a sense that whatever happened in the Old Testament had absolutely nothing to do with what Christ did. And whereas our Lord says, I um I come to fulfill not to to destroy, not one title or iota of the law shall shall pass, but all shall be fulfilled. So we really want to see what is the symbolism of the Old Testament and what does that express? And, and one of the clearest is that there is only one true religion and so much is that unity to be held, but there is only one temple, one place where the true worship can take place. And you might have other places, uh, the synagogues where people can learn about the one true religion of the, of the Old Testament, the Jewish religion. But there was to be one temple because of this need to show the absolute unity of God and of the the true faith. So that unity is not dissolved. Christ comes to perfect what was the shadow. He doesn't come to destroy it. And so the idea that this unity should be splintered by the coming of Christ rather than perfected, rather than ennobled, uh, that of itself doesn't uh, make sense, and then our Lord has, um, and you know, clearly um, stressed that um, that that uh, uh, that unity um, that He's come to uh, to die for for all sinners. He's He's come um again that he mentions the sheep that are not yet of his fold that he will bring into his fold and we find again the apostles very clear on that um that there's there's neither um Jew nor Gentile nor slave nor free um there's not going to be again these these various nationalities and when we speak of regional churches So the question is, are we talking about something that is essential or is it simply an accidental quality? Um, So you have, for example, you might have different clubs. You might have a different baseball club in this city or that city or different um, baseball clubs from country to country, and they can have their, their own policies based upon what you know, their own citizens find agreeable. But those really are then different clubs with simply similar interests. Now, if we try to do that with the church and say, well, these these people are, you know, they have similar interests, they want to serve God in their way, and we have a similar interest in serving God. We come back to, okay, well, but fundamentally is are these the same church or are they fundamentally distinct? And if they are fundamentally distinct, then we have to say that at least one of them is of human institution. One of them is simply uh, based more upon its regional preferences than it is upon the will of, of God. So as when we have, for example, the, the Anglican church now If that is simply a branch of the the one church, then it must come under ultimately one authority, one expression of worship, and um, one expression of faith. And so if it doesn't, then really it is something human. And we come back to that original problem. If If it's not really of God, if it's simply a human institution, then is it all that valuable? in leading us to to God? Can it in any way replace what Christ Himself has established? So I I think one can find this this rather blurry or confused thinking. Well I'm so used to you know just regional clubs or yeah hearing about the, the German church or the Anglican church or these various churches of of uh various places but that cannot possibly then be the, the the church that is founded by Christ to save all men. And again, just to continue that example a bit further, you might have different clubs for different regions because they are concerned about different aspects of, of maybe the, the temperaments of their people. And these people are you know uh well we like to we don't have access to these large spaces so we have these games that can be played in in smaller places or our people prefers a, do- a democracy and your people prefers a an aristocracy or a monarchy and so there's this question of the temperaments of the people can affect the different politics or social clubs and things like that but when we talk about salvation we're talking about humans as such we're talking about human nature which is common to all mankind and so this idea that well we simply to save the human nature uh, in china is different than saving the the human nature in america that the way to to heaven from uh from earth from the way to grace from sin is different if you're in china than you if you're in america is absolutely absurd so there can be again only essentially only uh one religion and that's what we 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 find um that you know our our lord did not want to divide his um his his church uh based upon national uh, distinctions again we would have the very opposite that where he should have um, elevated the unity that was there before, we would have found that he he had destroyed it, which is uh, unacceptable. We're thinking sure. of the the wisdom of God.
0: No, that makes sense. Um, what about the? Can we look at a specific point when Christ did establish the church? Did he do it at one specific time?
1: He prepared um, just as he prepared um, mankind for his his coming with the gradual revelation of of who he was and um, what his mission was. He did the same thing with uh, the church itself. And so the preparations begin from the uh, beginning of his public ministry. He is giving different analogies different parables um, speaking of the kingdom of heaven different aspects that one could expect of that kingdom that um it was worth more than you know um, anything else was so this treasure hidden in a field that one should give everything they have to obtain um, he's also saying that you know there will be a a wide variety in it he speaks of the um the net with a wide variety of fishes he actually says and again we can only see that as the the church on on earth that there will be um cockle mixed in with the wheat so there will be evil with the good so all of these various notions if you like to get his uh, his disciples ready to understand um the thing once it uh once he did uh, institute it, pardon me, um, and then the immediate, um, preparations for it are right before his passion. And so, uh, we note especially there, the institution of the, the priesthood, uh, and of the episcopate in ordaining the apostles, giving them the power to Uh, celebrate the Eucharist to do it in commemoration of him. He lays hands uh, upon them um, and gives them the Holy Ghost in a special way. So there he's giving this this special power to them uh, to rule and to to worship him um, according to the common worship that he wants. And then it's... the The fathers of the church agree that the definitive moment then when he's now given the 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 general structure to them, he's then established the hierarchy which is to rule uh in that structure and then he actually confers the authority the 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 pinnacle of the authority on Earth by making um saint peter his visible representative on earth and he does that after the resurrection before the ascension when he says to saint peter uh feed my lambs feed my lambs feed my sheep and so this this triple um it demands a triple confession from peter in order to uh, make reparation we could say for his triple denial and gives him the authority to to rule and it's at Pentecost then that you have the official promulgation. And we know that the, the law becomes official when it's promulgated. And so that is the importance of Pentecost where the new church then, um, the Church of Christ, is really the the means of salvation for all mankind because it is universally promulgated.
0: At the very beginning of the of the life of the church, some of the apostles... Encouraged the attendance of the faithful still to some of the older uh, practices of of the Jewish faith, attending the synagogues as, as well as uh, meetings the Eucharist with the with the Christians. Uh, does that throw any sort of a, a wrench in what you're arguing here, Father?
1: Uh, not at all. In fact, one of the fathers uh, states how that was very befitting uh, a way to bury the old religion, which was indeed the true religion for centuries, and so the um, it was not to be um, discarded uh, like handedly or mocked or treated irreverently, but to be buried as a venerable uh, mother. So you have a time period um, before the coming of Christ and before his death, on the cross when the the jewish religion is life-giving the vivikans and after our lord's uh, death uh, on the cross but before the destruction of the the temple there is a time when it is is simply dead but uh, not deadly uh and so it could be uh again out of respect its, its observances um, could be followed. But after a certain time of, of veneration and respect, and it becomes clear that no, now the practice of that old religion is simply a challenge and a denial of the truths that Christ has taught, that's when it becomes impossible to follow it any longer. That's where it's not only dead, but deadly, and the, um, the one that truly wants to follow Christ would have to um, stop attending the synagogue. But before that, and that's why you have um, the apostles, they continue to, to go, lest it would seem that they simply wanted to be free of the obligations of Judaism. They simply wanted to challenge the authorities that had long been there and the Christian religion, instead of appearing to to souls as the fulfillment of the old religion which it was, it might simply come across as a rebellion and a um, yeah an abandonment of the true religion, which was again um, the unworthy both of the the religion that Christ established and, um, well, the new and of the old, because both were from God.
0: Let's get back to the, the second main point that you suggested we were going to look at at the very beginning of this episode. We've been looking at kind of your first main point, which was that Christ did found a church and it is a true society. The second point is, did he mean it to be a visible society? Um, how how can we look at that question, Father?
1: Um, so yes, when we, of course, uh, one of the questions of apologetics is uh, can you can you recognize the the true church? If he did found a church, what are the means of recognizing it? And it seems before one comes to to that, there simply is the the question of, is it a visible society? In other words, it's it's a different question to say, is uh, the church established by Christ a public society of men? That's a different question than to say, is this public society of men? able to be recognized or as the church that Christ established. So um, those are yes, two uh, distinct questions, although whether it's recognizable or, or not does presuppose that it's visible. And that's the, um, I think then one of the a key point in dealing with someone who will not admit uh, to this, this visible church it's a certain escape from having to deal with any question at all about the objective uh, deposit that christ has left with us because if there's no visible church that i can you know uh, just exclude even having to to deal with the question of well if there is then i better find out which one it is um so of course it, a body of visible men we say yes okay so you have a uh, a society here it's it's made up of men is that all we mean by it's being visible that they're simply flesh and blood men of which it is composed um no, we're, we're talking about something more, and that's the question then that we come to. Did Christ intend that the men, the visible men that followed him, would actually have visible signs of unity among themselves? And so the they question, if you like, so, well, maybe they have the same faith, even if it's not made public. Or they have charity in their heart, even if no one knows about it. So is that really what the 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 church was as as Luther would hold? Well, we have the uh, the same faith. We love God, God loves me, but I simply don't know um, who else um, he loves and who else has this faith. And so yes, I may want to talk about that, but really it's known to to God alone is this all that Christ had in mind then is the question is that really the way that he wanted to structure it so that someone might have the the faith uh, but no one would know and there's the faith itself was not meant to be a bond uniting him to his neighbor or that one might have this love of god in his soul but that was not to be a bond that linked him to others. And again, when we think of the bond of charity, that's closely then going to be connected to both worship and obedience to the rules of a visible society. Uh, but I think we just come against a, a brick wall, and that brick wall is that to speak of a unity, to speak of a flock, to speak of a of a net pulling people together. If it's not visible, you're using words without any real meaning. There's there's no unity uh, that one can speak of if it's not visible. And so, if you have ten people on a on a sidewalk, can you speak of them as as being um, bound together, or a society, or a flock, or a group? If you have no knowledge of what they think, you have no knowledge of what they do or intend to do, um, of their allegiance, of their their loyalty. One person might be wanting to kill the person next to him. Um, one might um, have yeah completely different notions of of science, of what's important in life, of of anything. And then we say, oh, well, that's all the, the same group. It, well, what do we even mean by a group in that sense? If we they simply had a, a snapshot of them passing by one another in the street, and then they go on in completely different directions. So what do we mean by a church? What do we mean by an assembly? What do we mean by a, a flock or a net or any of these expressions that our Lord uses? If our notion of unity is actually something Utterly invisible, utterly intangible, with no external expression, and we don't find that, as I say, in the expressions that that Christ uses. He he speaks of the need to profess the same doctrine. He says that if you profess uh, me before men, I will profess you before my Father. And he den- who denies me before men, I will deny before my Father. So he's speaking of this public. Um, profession, uh, the notion that we should have visible rights to enter into an invisible society, again, that's simply incomprehensible. Why would we be bound to observe a visible right, if it's really no affair of anyone but mine, that I am a believer? It's, so how could Christ um, require this? Um, and the terminology of Christ himself, again, as we've already mentioned, some of those things, um, he compares his church to a, to a house, to a net, um, placed in the sea, to a field producing both wheat and weeds, to a city built on a mountain, which is to draw attention and to be recognizable, um, by those that seek it, um, And so, and the earliest fathers of the church likewise stressed the importance of belonging to the church of Christ. They really saw it as something that was discernible, which was recognizable, and therefore obliged people to enter into it. So the notion that the church established by Christ was some kind of an invisible entity or movement is actually historically very new it it does not go back to the time of of Christ at all
0: so we we've shown that that Christ did intend to put together some sort of a organization some sort of a something that would outlast his time on earth but we haven't really talked about why what was the purpose what was the reason why Christ wanted uh this church to exist as a visible society uh was it just so that the apostles could oppress people <laughs>
1: um well contrary to the opinion of, of some no not at all uh, it is because the um of course he wanted that salvation uh to be extended to all men of all times and let's make no mistake there's only one head of the the church and that is our lord jesus christ and he will be that one head for all eternity And so, if he does establish authorities on this earth, that is only that they might um, uh, represent him on on this earth, but never replace him. So, it's impossible, for example, that our Lord have a successor. He can have a representative, but he won't have a successor, no authority to replace him that could with his authority or with this equal authority i say well i have decided now to to change the the rules of christ but the the purpose that our lord then um wants and establishes is going to establish a church to do is precisely to save souls it's going to be the same purpose that he himself had on earth we can really imagine no other reason for him to establish such an institution except to carry on what he was doing and this is in fact far from um, being a a way to oppress people is a mark of his his mercy that if he is not going to um, to be there himself to grant to others the power to carry on his mission and this is also a reflection of his his greater power you have often the argument that God doesn't need others he doesn't need helpers he doesn't need anyone to to tell me uh, what to believe he can just tell me himself I don't need any intermediaries uh, I can go straight to to God himself this is is true in in principle in theory the question is is that the way god actually wanted it to be because if he is the one to say that i want there to be intermediaries then it's not a question of his power it's a question of what he wants in the order that he has ordained and this is often portrayed as the the weak uh, as implying some weakness of god that he should have helpers but It actually shows the the power of someone when they can not only um, make someone, if you like, enjoy the effects of their own action, but bring those people to be causes themselves to effect that action upon others. And I think we have that very colloquially expressed. When we say, uh, teach a man to, uh, or give a man a fish and you feed him for a day, uh, teach him to fish and you feed him for life. So this idea that the I do so much for him that he himself can become a cause of doing that for others, that is a perfection of transmitting power rather than a weakness. Whereas if I can, you know, if I'm unable to teach that man to fish, then it's okay, well, I guess, you know, I just don't have the power to give you that knowledge. So I'm just going to keep giving you a fish and keep you dependent. So it's actually something um coming back to the question of the, of the church that our Lord Jesus Christ should elevate people to share in his mission of sanctifying others far from being a weakness of Christ is a manifestation of his power that he brings others to be um, cooperators in this work of the gospel and of holiness. But what is certain is that the religion, the church that he founds will have no other purpose than the sanctifying of souls and the getting them to heaven. And that's going to be then inseparably interlocked with the the sanctification of souls is going to be the practice of the religion in the church that christ has founded and that church will be there as a custodian as the authoritative custodian of what christ has taught the authoritative um, guide to elucidate what christ meant through his his teachings and um, then to again in that church you will have the celebration of worship in a, a unified way to celebrate these rites. As we mentioned, there's the baptism, there's the Eucharist, whatever one's understanding of these things may be, the the church will necessarily have a unified form of this worship and then uh, living the life according to the morality, the commandments, the teaching that Christ has left. And so by the very practice of that religion, by following what our lord has said living um this life of worship that he has said uh keeping his commandments that practice of uh the the religion will be the sanctification of the soul and that sanctification of the soul is already in um a a proximate way what ultimately will be its um it's eternal happiness in heaven, and again, because we use these uh, these terms often by way of of analogy, we speak of 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 health as being opposed to sickness, and health as being opposed to death. So there are degrees, and the same way of this, um, the kingdom of of heaven and living this um, this this life of, of heaven. We can speak of that. Well, imperfectly here where on earth, it might still be lost if one proves unfaithful, but then perfectly in heaven where it can never be lost uh, uh, again. So there that by the life of God in the soul, that heavenly happiness is, is begun. It's there in seed. And if the person um, perseveres in what is here on earth the practice of his religion the fulfillment of his duties then that seed will blossom into a flower and that same love that is is here uh already in seed will be perfect um and blooming uh forever in heaven so really that is the the salvation of souls th- is the honor of god god is honored through the salvation of souls and that practice of religion is what sanctifies and what saves souls so that is why christ wanted a church to continue um this this work of making souls holy it was not simply of course to set up a series or a system of external rules um just to 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 torment people or bother people or the uh useless external observances not at all
0: and and christ very definitively commanded this he told the apostles to go out and to preach and to you know convert people to to the true faith
1: uh, absolutely and it's uh again and very solemnly you know baptize all peoples go to all nations um And the the importance that he put upon that belief, that profession of faith, upon the acceptance of the sacraments, and that if they did not believe, uh, they would be condemned. So these are very serious injunctions, and again, demand that there be some way that we can easily recognize where we are to go for that true faith, where we are, are to go for those true sacraments, to say that there should be such a command, and then... All right, now give it your your best shot, or as I say to to say that the um, the as some uh, do um, Protestants do that it's sufficient that we have the Bible. All human experience shows that there are um, different interpretations of the Bible, and not only are there different interpretations, but I would say that some Protestant interpretations. Even if one were to argue that they were true, one would have to admit that you would need an authority to assert that that is the truth, because if we can say that's the truth, it's still contrary to the natural reading of the text. It's not what the text suggests at all. Um, And one of the classics is is John chapter 6 with the instruction of the Eucharist um a catholic says this is truly the body and blood of of jesus christ and we could easily imagine that people might find that difficult to believe and we read in the text that people listening to jesus found it difficult to believe and they walked off and yet we don't read that our lord jesus christ said wait a second you have misunderstood it's not that difficult to believe it's just a symbol i'm speaking figuratively this is the kind of explanation we would expect if the Protestant understanding is true. So it, the we'd have to say the Protestant understanding really goes against the, the the natural reading of the text. And so if it's true, it really needs an authority to say, look, although this seems to say this, it says something else. So whichever way you see it, you, you really need, uh, again, an authority in the idea that, know christ should have done with the bible and we've already mentioned that of how it's so unreasonable with um without the printing press without vowels um to try to understand it in that way but that would be much like a teacher and i've been one for some 20 years now just going into my classroom dropping the manual in front of them there here's your moral theology book i'll see at the end of the year who does that Right, it's, you would never. Everything the divine teacher, and this was his system. It's so like, okay, well, you know, your 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 final grade will be determined of whether you've understood this or not. And my job of teaching was simply to put the book in front of you. It's um, it would be a lot so, easier. No, that's the the fact that he established a church. Not only is that very demonstrable from his his life, his words, his actions. But also we could say just from his, his mercy that he would not abandon us um, without a way to recognize uh, what he has, has taught and without a way to live that, that teaching in a very concrete way.
0: Mm-hmm. Last question I have on, on this, Father, and I'll, I'll let you go on Ordination's weekend, is uh, our Lord himself said, my kingdom is not of this world. Um, The church throughout history has, and I guess we're diving into the Catholic church now, um, which kind of belabors the, anyway, but the Catholic church throughout history has done a, uh, a lot of civic work or, or political work or being involved in society. Uh, How does that square with what Christ himself said, where he said, my kingdom is not of this world, but yet the church does spend a lot of time on things of this world?
1: Um. Uh, yes, I think that's a, a very good question, and I think it also ties to the um, back to what we've said about you know whether it's a visible society, and then it becomes an argument. Well, yeah, the the, the church is too visible, is too material, is too concrete. It gets wrapped up in the in the world, whereas. Doesn't our Lord, by these words, really tell us that it's invisible, it's spiritual, it's rather foggy, and it's just enough that we believe in our our heart. Uh, when our Lord says that His kingdom is not of the world of this world, um he's referring to, again, the the supernatural object of his kingdom, which is salvation the um uh, a society is distinguished by its object so you have a um you know it's for a government a constitution for a sport a uh, a series of of rules which dictate what the purpose of the the game is but why is, is um, hockey not football and football not baseball, for example, because it's oriented to this particular end? And why is the government of this nation not the same as the government of that nation? Because they are looking towards the good of their citizens, and this country towards the good of theirs. They have these different objects. the The Catholic Church's object, or I should step back upon that, in fact, the Church of Christ, whichever church it would be, is going to have this supernatural object of saving souls, of helping souls live the uh, the life of Christ, and that's going to be tied with the, the life that they have on this earth, which is the prelude to the life they are to live in the next. You, we can't exclude that this life is the stepping stone of how one lives it is the stepping stone to the the next and so um one might again if we're in jumping ahead to the idea of of recognizing um which church is the true church uh, instead of just focusing on what Christ has done but we'd also we'd already then be wondering of any church that did not recognize the mission that it had uh, guiding the state or working with the state in making sure the state laws reflected what is necessary to get to heaven not as if the state could get people to heaven because the state's object is temporal happiness but that temporal happiness in such a way that it's not an obstacle so by way of an example uh one might think of a a coach that would if he's coaching a, a, you know a jockey and, and horse riding if he says to him, you know well look you really uh, have a good chance to win this this race um but you just need to lose 20 pounds so I suggest you know cutting off both your legs and then you'll be a shoe in to, to win the race Of course the jockey's not going to take him up on that because he says well yeah, I might win this race but I lose the rest of my my life the the mobility of the rest of my life so this idea that one could simply say the you have have a complete disconnect between um the society that guides me in this life and the society that is to guide me through this life to to the next um really that that doesn't make sense so we will expect to find ultimately that uh the true church of, of Christ, it has this supernatural object. It has a spiritual mission, but that does not mean that it is completely disconnected from this life or is meant to be completely disconnected from this life. And as you know, our Lord uses his miraculous power to find the the means to, to pay the tax uh, for himself and uh, Peter. So uh, yes, I think we, uh, we certainly want to understand that when our Lord is saying that his kingdom is not of this world, he means that the, the power to reach this supernatural object, um, the, the goal of heaven is not of this world. It can't be found in this world. It can only be found in him. he's not saying through that, that it's not visible. It doesn't um, have anything to do with uh, your daily life. And just have this this invisible spiritual union with God that no one knows about and that you never really have to worry about uh, that's simply not in accord with everything he's he's shown us um, throughout the his, his life and through it recorded in the scriptures,
0: sure. well, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, Father, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us about all this. I know again, on a busy weekend, and um oh, my and you're pleasure. going on you're going on retreat very soon, right?
1: i am yes so you you've got me just uh, short of the window of entering to the 30-day retreat
0: 30 days wow well we'll yes. be sure to be praying for you and and uh, please return the favor for us as well father absolutely All god right. bless you thanks for talking with us father god bless you i know thanks for listening to this episode of the apologetic series on the sspx podcast and on our youtube page Please consider subscribing to the YouTube account and the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever fine podcasts are found. And please consider leaving a rating or a review on this podcast. This will help to make sure more people can find this podcast and discover the beauty and the truth of traditional Catholicism. Until next time.